Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Over the past 15 episodes in the COVID Lives podcast series, I've spoken to different people about how their lives have changed in different ways since March 2020. All of our lives have changed in ways that we never predicted they would, And quite possibly, this whole experience has changed us as people in ways that we might not recognise for years to come. For the final episode of the COVID Lives podcast, I wanted to speak to someone to whom no two days are the same. They say journalists, and certainly reporters, write the first rough draft of history. And that is certainly the case in what will hopefully be a -a once-in-a-lifetime event of a global pandemic. Alison O'Reilly is a print and broadcast journalist, and she has been at the coalface of the COVID-19 coverage, reporting on the Neffet numbers, speaking to people who lost loved ones, and holding those in power to account. This is the COVID Lives Podcast, and this is Alison's story. My name is Alison O'Reilly, and I am a radio and print journalist. Looking back at your journalistic career you've been in journalism for about 20 years has there been any time 25 Gavin. Comp- 20 look who's counting who's counting <laughs> has there been any time in your career that you can compare to the last year and a half no there's been nothing like this it's I mean it started off like something sort of like a really bad 90s film outbreak or something it was just so surreal so unusual I can still picture the night the former Taoiseach Leo Varadkar spoke to the nation um, and saying that this was a St. Patrick's Day like no other. And I can still see that on TV with my son watching him. And I was saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, throughout it. And my son kept turning around saying, please stop saying that. You're scaring me. So I was like, sorry, son, you know, and I mean, there was so much fear people were just terrified we were really going into the unknown there's never ever been anything like this and the fact that it is still going on is just so difficult for people there's a perception maybe that journalists are one step ahead of the the general public and that they know things that politicians are going to announce a few weeks out or whatever but did leo's announcement come as big a shock to you as it did to everyone else no No, we knew it was coming. And I think he was probably the right leader to be in situ at the time. He's a GP. It was very, very clear from the very beginning that he understood what he was talking about. He had read about COVID. He had studied it. He knew. He he understood what he was talking about. Um, 
I remember being in the newsroom reading about COVID-19 outside the country and then it slowly becomes closer and closer. And I remember um, Simon Harris saying, it's only just a matter of time now before it hits our shores. At that time, looking back now, you'd be wondering, why did we allow so many people to come into Ireland? Why were we still allowing tourists? Why were we not grabbing the bull by the horns? And this is all 2020 vision looking back. Really, um, I think at the beginning, certainly uh, people had to understand what they were dealing with. People had to learn, you know, right now we're living with COVID. At the time, we were trying to avoid COVID. So we were all staying in. We were all indoors. So it's completely different to what it was like last year. But I do remember coming in closer and closer. And I remember the very day there was a case in a school in Dublin and it was a teenager and the school had to be closed down. And then suddenly there was somebody in the north with it and somebody around. And then, sure, look, we went up to thousands of cases in January after Christmas. Um, I think, you know, a year and a half Can you take me back to uh, Leo's announcement that night and you were working as a journalist in the immediate aftermath of that? What was that like? So I did the first package the next day. Hazel read the news and I had to record his audio. I stayed up really, really late. Um, I did my package that night because I wanted it to sound like I had just heard his speech, uh, the same as everyone else had. So I knew first thing the next morning when everyone was going to be in their car or in their kitchen listening to the news that they would be saying, oh, yeah, that, yeah, oh, my God, it is real. Like, that's exactly what I heard. <laughs> you know, you're just bringing it back home. So, you know, he, he he came down the stairs in government buildings. He came out to the cameras. He delivered a, a very powerful speech about COVID-19. And he said it's coming and it is coming. He said that, you know, financially... We were going to be floored. Um, he said that we had to look after each other. He said that the government would look after us. Um, you know, he just said that, you know, restrictions were going to come in and life was going to change forever. And he was right. Um, so I still see him standing there making that very, very powerful speech. And everybody, I can just imagine, was at home listening. And uh he wasn't using the word lockdown, but we know it was a lockdown. Um, so I had to record his audio and write around it and kind of not scaremonger, but reassure people of what the leader was telling us because it's his job to lead. So I just remember I, I actually got up. I was on this 6 a.m. shift and I had already done the package. So I knew myself even listening back to it, that it was done at that moment, you know. So um, it was bizarre listening back to it then, you know, because I was going, God, I think everybody was like, oh, my God. Oh, my. Really, we were all kind of in a bit of a shock and daze for the next few days as things started to sink in the reality of it. And it just got worse and worse. Totally. And it was you're right. It's so vivid that moment when he when he came down the steps of government buildings. And I'm I'm sure it's going to be a clip that's going to be played again and again and again. Interesting. You mentioned the you were cognizant you didn't want to scaremonger people you just wanted to reassure them yeah have has that been something you've had to build into your reporting over the last year and a half that 
you're cognizant that people reading your articles or listening to you are quite terrified about COVID-19. There's just so much fear. There's so much fear. And, uh, you know, during all of this time, my own father was very, very ill throughout the whole year. And um, so I couldn't go and see him in Drogheda. And when I did go to see him, I was at the window and I still have a picture of my son with his hand at the window. And I found that really sad. Um, They were afraid to come out. So they were one of thousands, you know, and a lot of anxiety happened all across the board. It's really only now, and I think we missed the boat on this. We missed young people. We just assumed they would be okay, But really, um, there's a lot of anxiety among young people. And I have to say that, you know, as the mother of a, a boy who's in his 20s, he's he didn't do his leave insert. He did the predicted grades. Um, you know, he didn't have his end of year. He had it on Zoom, didn't have his Debs, didn't have his first year in college. Everything was on Zoom. It's Zoom life. And really, I saw his anxiety levels go up. I saw all his friends' anxiety levels go up. Uh, and we just expected them to put up with it. I think we missed the elderly people in the nursing homes. I don't know how we missed that, looking back on it now. Um, and then there was huge emphasis on young kids going back to school and mothers and fathers at gates, school gates. But I think we really missed the young people because they have sacrificed more than all of us put together. I've done an awful lot with my life. There's a lot, you know, that I have done. I've traveled. I've done a lot of what I wanted to do. Uh, my son was only starting out. Now, when I say my son, I'm, I'm talking that age group. And I've spoken to so many young kids, young people, and I think they missed out on so much. And there's an awful lot of social anxiety, a lot of fear. The elderly people were petrified, loneliness, all sorts of terrible feelings when you're locked in your home, not knowing what your future is. And all of your pain and past and anything that's upset you in your life really is amplified uh, on top of everything. So while we've all been deeply affected, I think, with anxiety and all sorts of stress and paranoia and all sorts of difficulties, I do think younger people really suffer the most. And yeah, your youth is precious, I guess. And when when those days are gone, uh, they're gone. well, they're gone. You, you have to grow up eventually and you have to become an adult eventually and do all the boring adult things and your youth is gone Looking back then, since that night that Leo came and made his announcement of the first lockdown, what are the other stories that you've covered that stick out in your mind? It was very, I suppose it was, the the, the most difficult stories to get at the time were people who had passed away. Nobody really wanted to say, my mother has just died of COVID-19. It's a bit of a stigma with the whole virus. Um, so then when we were learning that someone passed away and someone has given an interview, and then every now and then you would see a, t- a Twitter story where someone saying, my father has passed away from COVID-19. They were big stories at the time. Now we know that there's just thousands that have died. Um, and certainly, you know, I've spoken to lots of families. One in particular is the son of Anne O'Connor. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Anne's story for me will always stick out in my mind because um, she died in a nursing home. Uh, she was there because she'd fallen down the stairs, so she was in a wheelchair. And her children uh, couldn't come in to see her. She died alone. Um, they couldn't go near her coffin. They all had to stand back. Nobody knew is the virus living. Are we going to contract the virus by being near the coffin? There was the whole issue with undertakers having to deal with the remains of people who've died because of COVID. Very distressing for people. Um, but Anne O'Connor's story was just beyond heartbreaking. Anne didn't know who she was. She had been left on the doorstep of an orphanage in Longford as a baby. She was in her late 60s um, and her son said she was the most beautiful person you could ever meet. She had done everything for the community. She had been so helpful towards her own community. Anne had become the life and soul of her community in Dublin 7. She was extremely well loved, very generous with her time and love to all of her community and then had died alone and, um, you know, never knowing her true identity. Um, and then her son gave me the story uh, about her life and what she did reveal to him. And remember, I- I've done an awful lot of stories on mother and baby homes and orphanages and adoptees and uh, parents never really tell you the whole story. It- in order to protect you from the horror of their life. That's your job as a parent and um, to have those boundaries. But he knew his mother had been raped, beaten and starved. And she was in there till she was 16. She gets out of there. She never had been on holidays. She'd never traveled anywhere. She'd never gone anywhere, uh, but still lived a happy life. And um, and then died. And, you know, her father, her, her son was saying to me, what was her life all about? You know, why why was she even put on this earth? Because she had nothing. But I said, well, she was your mother and she enriched so many lives around her. But for me, that story will always stick out because she she of, of how she died, but not just that, her own backstory. Um, and then to die in such a way with no answers, not knowing who you are, no passport, never been anywhere and uh, couldn't even have her children around her when she died. I found that story heartbreaking, really. And I did loads of stories on Anne, loads. And I remember I tweeted her story and it was probably the most viewed story. It just got thousands of retweets because of who she was and the life she had. Well, rest in peace to Anne O'Connor. And that's it's a really harrowing story, Alison. And I think we heard quite a lot of them this year because, of course, one of the biggest non-COVID-related stories covered by the media was the publication of the Mother and Baby Homes report. And there were so many shocking revelations from that. Mm. Now, moving back to some of the other stories you were covering, recently you spoke to a man who 
Well, I don't think many of us would have been familiar with him before March 2020, but he's become somewhat of a, a household name since then, appearing on our TV screens every evening. And that is the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Holohan. Can you tell me about your interview with him? Tony Holohan is the Chief Medical Officer, and he is the man that we see on the telly almost every evening. It's, it's subsided a bit, the, the NEFIT meetings. But he's the one that delivers all the bad news, unfortunately. Um, he explains the virus, he tells us the deaths, he tells us who's in hospital, he makes all the appeals. Um, most people didn't know Tony Hulham until COVID came in. So he's one of these unlikely stars. <laughs> it's so funny, the reaction you get about Tony Hulham because, um, you know, I, I saw tweets at the beginning, oh, I don't know who Tony Hulham is, but I follow him into battle. <laughs> you know, he could lead a war. And we had all of these sort of... Um, situations and conversations about Tony Hulahan. But uh, look, he's the chief medical officer. He has a deputy. He's He understands COVID. He's the one that kind of, you know, they sit in on the NEFIT meetings and they have to offer advice to the government. Um, they don't have statutory powers, uh, but they are uh, obliged to give advice to the government and the government are then you know, um, left with the decisions of what to relay to the public. Um, Tony is uh, a very good media performer as well. He's very good with the media. I think he could answer any question. He's been put under pressure loads of times. Uh, some would say probably not under enough pressure. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of faults and failings in there. Certainly looking back, you know, he did say he gave us 40 minutes of his time he told us that young people have been severely impacted by COVID. He does accept that. He's got teenagers at home, young young adults at home. Um, in the middle of, of the pandemic as well, while he was steering the country through this pandemic, he lost his own wife, uh, which I find must have been absolutely horrendous for his family, um, and then came back to work. Uh, people really do look up to him. Some people now are turning against him, but it's it's people have just become lethargic with COVID. They don't hear it anymore. People are like, oh, Tony, we don't care anymore. Whereas we were all like sitting watching like rabbits in headlights every time he spoke. Um, you mentioned that there's this kind of lethargy now and maybe kind of a COVID fatigue that people are, they don't want to hear the maybe the COVID numbers every night and it might be it must be difficult for you because it's your responsibility as a journalist to report on the news on the other hand you, you want to keep people engaged and you don't want people to stop reading or to tune out have you had to change how you present news related to COVID to keep people engaged and listening to us yeah I think people appreciated a lot of the advice he gave that day and uh, was saying, you know, if we can get people vaccinated, we can start easing off a bit with the restrictions. So he was kind of giving a bit of hope because that's all that people want to hear now. Are we going into another lockdown, Tony? Or are we going to start being able to take our masks off and go out? So his big thing was, he said, for the next eight weeks, you know, washing your hands, doing all the simple things, wearing the mask and getting vaccinated. One won't work. We're going to have to do the two. So, if, so he, that was his big thing with us, try and get everybody to get vaccinated, put the word out, but also at the same time running parallel to that, vaccinated or not, wash your hands, sanitize, all of that. Um, what we have started doing in the newsroom is we don't necessarily lead with the virus numbers anymore. Uh, 
they've kind of dropped down the bulletin a bit. There are still a lot of our listeners who want the figures. Mm. People still want to know. Uh, and we do have a duty to report them. But they're not way up high in the bulletin anymore. They're not the lead story. Um, different reporters and readers report differently. But certainly for me, I've started dropping the figures back. Okay. We still tweet them out. We still put them up on the web. So they're there if you look for them. Uh, and all media outlets, you know, we try and get them out straight away. But I don't necessarily put them at the top of the read. All of us non-journalists have been able to turn off the news if we've been overwhelmed by the COVID case numbers or by any stories or the deaths. We can just, you know, turn off the phone, avoid the news. You've been at the cold face of that. You've been reporting it every single day. How do you find that? And how do you not take your work home with you, I guess? I take my work home with me anyway. Anyone who knows me knows that. I don't really switch off. Um, I'm not as affected by it. I feel we have a duty to inform people. We do the one minute COVID minutes. We do. We, we constantly are churning out stuff about COVID and public health advice. Um, I have covered some of the most horrific stories in this country, from mother and baby homes to foster care to murders to rapes and incestuous relationships and children born from that. You name it, I've done it. I've been in prison to meet some of the most hated figures in Ireland. It doesn't affect me in that manner. And and I think when you're a journalist, you've either got the bug or you don't. Um, and I do. So I don't really switch off. Uh, my partner's also a journalist. So we're both like that. Uh, you carry it around with you and you're constantly trying to think of how to deliver the next story. You're constantly trying to, you're always kind of doing a story in your head as part of the news. Um, so I don't switch off and I don't mind not switching off. This is the career I chose and this is the career I love. And I don't think every single day is different. That's why I never get sick of it. And it must have been in, in some weird ways an exciting year to be a journalist. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, it's extraordinary. There's, there's, there's never been anything like this. And I think it'll be something we look back on. And we, you know, as I said, looking back as 2020 vision, there'll be loads of mistakes, loads and loads of mistakes. But I think we'll be hearing about COVID for the next decade. And uh, hopefully in this lifetime, my lifetime, we don't have anything like this again. Please God. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, Alison. Thanks so much for listening to the COVID Lives podcast series. I hope you've enjoyed listening. By the way, if this is the first episode you've listened to, there's 15 others that you can catch up with wherever you get your podcasts. Take care and stay safe. There's brighter days to come for all of us. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.